This is the Recorded Conversations Podcast, the podcast dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in an authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, David Feldman, who is a licensed marriage therapist, joins the episode, and we discuss how to build a great marriage. David goes over the five foundations for building a great marriage, which include gratitude, listening, communication, boundaries, and sexuality. I want to invite you in to this conversation with open ears and open heart and an open mind. We dig into social trends and discuss sexlessness. Sexlessness is on the increase in many marriages and long-term relationships. David and I offer some ideas as to what's contributing to that. And David offers some solutions to preventing your sexuality and your sexual activity from suffering. I think this is a really fascinating episode filled with lots of advice. So if you are looking to implement some new ideas so that you can strengthen or rebuild the relationship that you're in, I highly encourage you to pull out a pen and paper and take some notes because there are nuggets of wisdom throughout. To learn more about David Feldman, please visit his website, davidfeldman.com. That's D-O-V-I-D. F-E-L-D-M-A-N.com. If you're interested in recreating intimacy, you can sign up for a 12-week Building a Great Marriage course today. You can also find David on Twitter at Dovid Feldman. As always, listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of my guest, David Feldman. Enjoy the episode. Let's just go ahead and start off. First off, um, thank you for joining me. I discovered you on Twitter, and I really appreciated um, a lot of what you have to say. You have an encouraging outlook. You have a really positive redirect on a lot of the social narratives and rhetoric that are quite (laughs) nasty and negative. And so I really appreciate that about you. So let's just dig in a little bit. What is your background with what you do? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I have a little bit of an interesting story. Um, I started out in, I went to Grinnell College back in, I graduated in 1990, which is probably before many of your audience was born, which is okay. (laughs) Times were different back then. The social milieu was very different. You know, relationships between men and women were very different back then. 
And I went into technology for many years. And at some point in my early 40s, I just, you know, I just got tired of looking at a screen and clicking keys all day. And um, I'd always been very relationship oriented. So I decided to sign up to get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And uh, I sat in the class with a lot of 22 year olds, very funny stories because they're all talking about, you know, I, at this time I already had six kids, you know, and they're all talking about <laughs> raising families and their family marriage therapists and, you know, being married. And I just, you know, so <laughs> you had all this experience already and they were just stepping into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't even married or anything. They, they were just taking classes. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in any case, it was a lot of fun and very, um, very good experience. I appreciated the opportunity to learn and to formalize my methodology. And then I started practicing and I immediately got drawn to Twitter. You know, I just felt like there was a space here for another voice. This was back in 2017. A lot has changed since then. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I got involved in the Manosphere, which is you know, a pretty hardcore group of guys that have pretty strong opinions. Uh, it didn't take long until I was kicked out officially. <laughs> mm -mm. You lost your man card? Yeah, I lost my man card. <laughs> and, Were you officially uh, declared a simp of any kind? <laughs> Blue pill, simp, yeah. you know, beta, all the names. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but at that point I decided, you know what? The truth is, is that I had my own voice and I had my own philosophy and I had my own approach. And I decided instead of hiding behind all the rhetoric that they were put, pumping out, I decided to come out with my own content. And it's been a, it was a great decision. I, I do have a lot of, you know, friends on Twitter, such as you that appreciate a little bit of a twist off of the narrative with the focus on the beauty of the relationship between yeah. men and women, instead of all the problems and our differences. And uh, I, I think it's nice because it 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 doesn't totally stray from the message that they're trying to give over. They highlight a lot of real problems that exist mm -hmm. between men and women today. So it doesn't stray from that. I, I'm not living in fairyland. But on the other hand, it doesn't solutionize in the same negative, downtrodden, doomsday yeah. approach. And instead, it brings out a lot of the potential that we have as people. Yeah. And I imagine your your 12-week course for building a better marriage probably implements some of this philosophy and redirect. So would you oh. mind telling a little bit about what that method is behind it, what your foundational philosophy is and 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 then are you seeing that it's it's working with people? Oh yeah, for sure. Um so excited about this 12-week program that I have. It's just phenomenal. Uh, probably the best part about it is that I do it with my wife, which really makes a huge difference. I mean, women need to speak to other women often. Yeah. And as much as my approach is important for the program, which it is, there's a certain percentage of a woman's soul that just really only can convey how they feel to another woman. Yeah. And uh, my wife adds a lot in particular because she is I've been a wife for 30 plus years. She's a mother of six kids and she herself is a coach. So she's been through a lot. And so she, it turns out that she's a great resource for women when they approach the program. 
But one of the things about the program that I love the most, and it's a real reflection of my attitude in general, is that I, even though I'm billed as a marriage therapist, I like to describe myself as a marriage advocate. Mm. And, and, and that means that when a couple comes to me, I'm not fighting for him. I'm not fighting for her. I'm fighting for them. Mm -hmm. And they can really feel that, you know, so every challenge, every issue, every conversation, every opportunity we have, we turn and we focus and we say, okay, how are we going to take this? How are we going to leverage this into positivity towards your relationship? And it's exactly what they really want, right? If, if they're coming to me, that means they want to save their marriage. Yeah. And even though it feels good for me to be like, oh yeah, you're right. He was such a jerk or yeah, I can't believe she did that. You know, like even though that, that may be typical in some therapeutic offices, I don't, I don't do that. And my clients appreciate that. They don't want to be told that their negative view of their spouse is correct. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be shown and, and, and explained and taught and to be heard in such a way that we reframe what the negative experience they're having into something which shows that they're a good spouse, that their husband is a good spouse and that we can still make this work. I like that. I like that. It's more, and it, it, it almost seems like you help them redirect to see that it's not what they're fighting about. It's what they're fighting for. Oh, good. Yeah. That's a great line. I yeah. It's, it's not <laughs> mine. I stole that from Esther Perel. <laughs> I've been engulfed in her material over the last oh, yeah. week. Yeah, she's, she's got a new great. course coming at, that just came out. So I'm preparing for that. Oh, good. Um, yeah. yeah. She's fantastic. She's the queen, queen bee. She really is. Yeah. She's very <laughs> influential, very experienced. But I imagine you having all this experience before you even went after your degree for this was almost like, what did it feel like you were just recalling memories and experiences and you're like, oh yeah, now I understand what this is. Like I can put to words these things I've already experienced. Yeah. A lot of it, you know, my, my father was, it was a very relationship oriented person. And so um, he really taught all of his children you know, how to be in relationship and some of the more important found fundamentals. I also am a Hasidic Jewish person. So our entire perspective of God is all about relationships. Mm. So that's how we connect to God. And that's our, our entire perspective of God is that God loves us and we love God. And how do we manage that relationship? There's boundaries, there's kindnesses, there's we serve God, there's duty, responsibility, there's mm -hmm. praise, there's appreciation, there's repentance, there's apologies. I mean, it just, it, it really mimics in so many ways a healthy marriage. Yeah. And so when I went to school, what I really loved was that I was able to put more, let's just say, secular methodology, methodological approaches to a lot of this philosophy and upbringing that I had already. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your principles and your values are just kind of folded into all of these dimensions then. And so now it was like, you had to see it in a different view, almost as like a third party now witnessing over yourself. And I, I, I found something similar to, I have a more Christian background. And when I really dove into psychology, I, and I was already seeing that from a theological background about this relational 
transcendence that you experience within spirituality and with God and that relationship and how, you know, the marriage relationship is to mirror that to a degree. And so I saw that terminology come into play too and started, I think for myself, really understanding other people's experiences that had maybe previously confused me. And now I had the verbiage to attach to it and a different lens to go. It all just kind of folds into each other really when we start stepping back and looking at it. So with these foundations that you're already practicing in your life, how do they incorporate into your practice in your course? Like what are your, your top five foundations for a healthy marriage? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I do talk about this on Twitter. Um, you know, it took me a while to develop exactly what I felt was the most important, you know, found fundamentals of creating a good relationship. And one thing which underlies my entire program and just my entire attitude about marriage in general is this idea that marriage is more about what you do than how you feel. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out exactly, there's so many aspects and dimensions to marriage, you know, what's the most important? You know, and it's it's hard to put it into words. It's hard to put it into a paradigm that's going to fit, yeah. you know, for a generic course for everybody. But I feel like I really whittled it down to five, you know, characters and and actions that we need to take in order to have a, a great marriage. Um, again, you know, it's all in line with what I like to say that marriage is more about what you do than how you feel. Which is a little bit, that itself is a little bit, you know, a little bit revolutionary in the sense, because so many people, certainly on the way out of a marriage, you know, that's when you hear almost all the time, she didn't make me happy. I'm not happy in this relationship. He's not fulfilling my needs, right? That's a sign that you're completely focused on your feelings, which is obviously marriage has room for feelings. But when we adopt the perspective that marriage is more about what you do, then a lot can change. So the first principle, which is the most important and stays with us throughout the entire program, and God willing will stay with people for their entire lives, is the first foundation, which is appreciation, gratitude, and affection. Oh, yeah. The most important um, character trait that you can bring to a marriage, if you want to be happy, is to be infatuated with your spouse to be in love with your spouse, to see good in your spouse. If you can't see anything positive in this person, it's going to be miserable. It's not just going to be miserable for you. It's going to be miserable for your partner. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee, and I guarantee this to every couple that comes to me, that there are thousands of ways that that your spouse is worthy of appreciation. Thousands. And it's oftentimes the most interesting hill to climb, just getting the person on the other end of the phone to see something that they can appreciate in their spouse. I always say that noticing is the most difficult challenge. Mm -hmm. But once you get good at noticing, it's like a snowball. Because once your eyes are open to all the things that your partner does for you, you know, so many times I'll say to someone, well, what, give me five things that your spouse did today that's worthy of appreciation. And, you know, I have, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't see anything today. We haven't really talked. So I say, okay, well, where, where is he? 
he, well, he's at work. He, we didn't get a chance to have a conversation yet today. Oh, so he's responsible. He supports the family. He's working hard for you. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, and did he say goodbye before he left? Oh, yes, he did. He makes sure to kiss the kids and to say goodbye to me. Oh, so he's communicative. He's family oriented. Right. So once we start getting the ball rolling, you know, one of my favorite exercises, you know, as I say, give me five things. And before you know it, the other person's at number 20, 21, 22. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first foundation. And, and, and that has to stay. That'll stay for the entire course of the program. And God willing, like I said, for the rest of their lives, because the more appreciative just in general we are of life, the more joy yeah. we have. Attitude of yeah. gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second thing that we really learn about is has to do with communication, but the flip side, which is learning to be a compassionate listener. Listener. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important because even though speaking and expressing yourself is so critical, learning how to receive somebody's reality and giving it the significance and importance it deserves is probably the number one make or break in terms of your communication. Yeah. Right. Getting defensive, getting angry, turning it about you, closing it, shutting your partner down, not paying attention. These mm -hmm. things will cause your partner to turn away very quickly and to lose complete trust in, in you. Yeah. Right. So we have to learn how to be compassionate and that's very challenging. It's easy to be compassionate. It's easier to be compassionate when my wife comes home and tells me stories about somebody at work that offended her. Then I can show, show up with tons of, oh, I can't believe they did that. And wow, that must have hurt your feelings. Right. But mm -hmm. when my wife comes home and tells me something about me, all of a sudden, all those skills that I had go right out the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, we're going to talk about me? <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> How dare you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the third foundation, which is very important, is learning how to express yourself, communication, right? relationship-oriented communication, mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes, we, we human beings are experts in speaking to people in different ways. So I would never speak to my father like I would speak to my son. I would never speak to my coworker the way I would speak to my boss, right? And I would never make that mistake. Mm -hmm. I may say to my coworker, hey, can you pick up the copies for me at the printer? But I wouldn't say that to my boss. I would tell my son to take the garbage out before he leaves the house. But if my dad came to visit, I wouldn't even make the mistake to say to my father, oh, can you just take the garbage out to the bins before you leave? Never. But yet with my spouse, a spouse oftentimes becomes the trash bin of all the different yeah. methodologies, depending on whatever we want to get across. We don't even think twice about the way we speak to our spouse. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's a mistake in our parts that has deep impact in our relationship. No criticism, no blame, no shaming, no um, finger pointing. Right. That these are basics in terms of speaking of, appropriately and creating communication where you can get your feelings across. Mm -hmm. uh, the fourth foundation, which we talk about is setting boundaries. Boundaries is a tough one. Yeah, it is. Most people aren't really that good at setting boundaries. I'm the worst. <laughs> yeah. Or they're really good at setting boundaries for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very yeah. true. 
Uh, yeah, that it's. I have two uh, two parts to this boundary module. One is the um, how to set boundaries, and the other one is how to receive boundaries. Mm. Right, they're both important. Yeah, and and the most important thing about a boundary is is that oftentimes, you know, boundaries by their very nature separate us, right? Because on some level, I'm saying no to something that you want. When I say no to you, I'm separating us. Yeah. Right. You want something and I'm saying no. <clears throat> but on a deeper level, which is important for us to focus on, boundaries are actually, the purpose of a boundary is to connect us, to keep mm. us close. Because when I'm saying no to you, I'm saying no to you because I'm saying to you, hey, I love you and I love our relationship. And if I were to say yes to this, that would bring a separation between us. Because I it, because I can't do this in a in a in a in a authentic with an authentic heart. Yeah. So in order to protect us, I'm going to say no to this. I'm not saying no to you. I'm saying no to protect what's really important, which is our relationship. And that message gets lost when we say for most people when we set a boundary, right? So we need to learn how to set boundaries with love. The key. So that we don't push our partners away and make them feel rejected or disconnected. Mm -hmm. And the fifth module, which is the funnest, is about sex. <laughs> <laughs> Save uh, the best for last. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, having a good sex life for the first five years of marriage shouldn't be that hard. Right. Right. But when you once you start getting to 20 years, 30 years and beyond, it gets more difficult. So when kids are involved, when children are part of the equation, when financial hardship hits, how do we set up a perspective, an attitude towards intimacy, a schedule around intimacy, intimacy such that all of our needs are being met and that it can go the distance, right? Marriage is a long time and we always want to be desirous of our wife and mm -hmm. we always want our wife to feel comfortable being with her husband. So we have to set up something, you know, this idea that, well, we'll just have sex when we feel like it, you know, I wish that worked. If it worked, it wouldn't be one of my top five, <laughs> top five things, but yeah. it doesn't work. What has been your experience with some of these topics that I'm bringing up? Like, what do you think about it? Um, well, first, I, I think I, I have worked out my own kind of module of main foundations as well for my own coaching philosophy. And, you know, gratitude is at the top of my list too. And these other concepts are, you know, clearly super beneficial to relationships. And how do you, you know, condense such such complex relationships with so few concepts. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is these are things I'm like, I didn't even think about that before. Like I understand setting boundaries in practice, but as a foundation, I think just because of my own personal experience, I was late in the game in boundary setting. Like recently, you know, within the last two years, I've been like, <laughs> I suck at boundaries really, don't I, babe? And he's like, you can, yeah, you know? And um, so I'm just seeing that these are all really good foundations to really stand your marriage on. Um, you know, especially with the listening part too, I remember I took I took a couple years in nonviolent communication. 
And I did that because I was realizing I was really articulate and really great at communicating with people, but I sucked at communicating with a large variety of people. Like, and sometimes I would almost, and my kids told me this when I was, you know, when they were growing up, my older ones, I would get way too intellectual with them and academic, right? Because I was in the throes of academia and learning. And they'd be like, can't you just talk to us like a kid? And then my husband would get to a point like, can you just talk to me like your husband and not a client, (laughs) you know? And so I went through this nonviolent communication thing, but the listening thing was the one thing I was like, you know, I don't think I'm a good listener. So that was new to me. And I would say within like the last eight years or so, the whole listening part became really, really important in my own relationship because my husband and I were both shitty listeners. And now I think we're getting better. Uh, you know, it's funny as we'll fight over the nonviolent communication da, 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 stipulates this, you know, and we're activated and we're trying to one up each other on our knowledge of the communication and listening. And uh-huh. that's always a fun part of the conflict, <laughs> but it gets violent. <laughs> yeah. And the intimacy and the desire component, right. Is I'm assuming is the sex. It's probably both intimacy and desire. I recognize those as two kind of separate realms. Okay. And I realize, you know, how important both are. And I think that's, you know, when I'm dealing with my clientele base, the sexlessness in marriages is a huge trend right now. And it's because I think we don't understand the concept of maintaining intimacy. And then I think to a degree, and this is just something I've come to understand recently, thanks to Esther Perel and Jack Marin is, you know, intimacy and desire are kind of two separate ideas. We want intimacy, but sometimes intimacy and desire don't work together. And so there's this formula and equation for desire, which is attraction plus an obstacle. And so it's like, we have to be able, that's what develops that desire for us within our relationship. There's an obstacle, which taught me, and I recognize this in my own relationship, that when we have too much intimacy, too much closeness, too much availability, too much accessibility, or I'm here if you want me, that can deaden desire and make me go, yeah, I mean, sure, it's there. I can take it if I want it, but I want it. I want to want it. And so I, you know, in recent years, learning how to discover how to maintain that desire and intimacy and seeing them separately, but both needed and necessary within our, you know, oscillating within our relationship. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I like that. You know, it it is like um, a little bit of a dance, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a little bit of a um, push-pull type dynamic. And, you know, it's not easy to figure out, you know. Um, I know in the Jewish religion, one of the biggest techniques that's utilized, and it's, it's, it's not the reason, but it happens to correlate with this is a degree of abstinence, mm. you know, and I, I always, I look at the women, I look at women as kind of in charge of it. I know it sounds a little strange, but I view the intimate life, that connection, you know, heart to heart, body to body as kind of the realm of the feminine, even though a man will always show up for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of put it in her lap to manage that dynamic 
And one of the most effective ways, in my opinion, of keeping that energy going is to not always be available, mm-hmm. you know, to have a sense because women have this in- intuition of how things are going in their relationship, have the ability to, you know, be available at the right time and then also know when it's too much for the relationship. Yeah. You know, and that keeps the man on his toes. You know, I'm talking within a loving relationship here, a respectful relationship. Yeah. You know, that keeps a man, you know, always pursuing. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, that that works really well for us and for a lot of my clients where it's like, uh, there's always a sense of desire, a sense of longing, a sense of wanting, and then a sense of consummating. Yeah. And then we go right back into that cycle again. Yeah. You know, and when... your your foundations here, though, are almost kind of like different phases of the cycle that help keep perpetuating that desire, too, I think. Because I recognize the more we did this whole attitude of gratitude and we affirmed each other and appreciated each other and were more affectionate with each other, you know, that gives you more space and comfort in further developing your communication style and your listening style. And then that helps you learn how to verbalize the boundaries you want to establish, which helps you kind of maintain that intimacy and desire, right? And the way I see it anyway, just from looking over your ideas is it's almost a cycle that just kind of keeps the whole thing going. Sure. And sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the that's why I say about the first one that it's definitely, you know, it's going to be with us for the entire program mm-hmm. and for the rest of their life, God willing, you know, because I've had people that after the first few weeks, after we start getting into the, at the, the kindness and the appreciation and the um, affection module, well, they really hit that one hard. And, after the first two or three weeks, you know, they don't even remember why they, <laughs> they don't even remember why they came to me. Right? Yeah. They're they like, wait, I love her. I love her. What was it? I love this woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I always say to them, I say, when you feel like I ripped you off, that's when I know I've done a good job. Yeah. When you feel like you don't remember why you paid me all this money to help you in your marriage, <laughs> like, why am I seeing this guy again? Like, I don't get it. You know? And I'm like, that's perfect. You yeah. know, that's just absolutely perfect. Uh, I have a funny story about this, you know, this, if we have time for a funny story. Oh, we have time for funny stories. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> I remember one of my, you know, after I had developed this program and I had done it with a bunch of clients already and this, this couple from uh, Kentucky came to me and they, and they did, they, you know, sign up my program. She was a big, she's a big in medicine and he was a big musician and one thing that I do this is a little bit unique. I don't know how many p- other people are doing it. I don't hear much about it. Is that I, I in general, don't see the couple together. Mm. Uh, I usually meet with them with them separately. Uh, so, and I and I do that because I like to say I would never put an angry tiger and a hungry lion in the same room together just to see what happens. <laughs> not, not interested. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I have her on the phone, you know, for session number one, and we go through this. We go through this, you know, exercise of give me five reasons why you fell in love with your husband. And again, she rolls into 20 reasons in the first few minutes. And she's, you know, she struggles at first and then I give her a little bit of a hint. And then before you know it, she's rattling off 20 great things. He's kind and he's funny and he's smart and he's protective and he's, 
handsome and he can be sexy and he's good with the kids and he's family oriented and he's honorable and respect, you know, she just keeps rolling these things up with all these examples and she's excited and her whole demeanor is changing and say, okay, good. Now we're going to do the first homework, which is going to be, you're going to express this to him every day. You're going to choose one of these things. I send her the list that she gave me. I write everything down. Um, and I said, okay, you're going to express these to him every day. Um, via text message. I want to see a screenshot. So she goes ahead and the husband was due to have his session. You know, that was like a Tuesday. The husband was supposed to meet me on, on Thursday. So Thursday morning, I get an email from the husband saying he can't make it. Okay. He's a big executive. No problem. Next Tuesday rolls along and the wife comes back on the phone. It's her session. And she says, oh, I don't know what she said to him. But wow, I'm seeing such changes in the marriage. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Let's do, you know, module number two. And we had a great weekend together. And, you know, he, I don't know, he's changed. So, you know, I don't say anything. On <laughs> if it's not broken, I, you know, I'm not. Right, <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, yeah, no, your husband, you know, definitely expressed a desire. Because he did when he, he had clarity call with him. And he's like, I know he loves you. Da, 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 you know, because I'm marriage advocate. So we have the next thing, which is uh, being a good listener. And she's listening and she's like, yeah, you know, I have problems listening and I'm going to show him more compassion. And I, you know, sometimes he comes home from work and I don't really know how to relate to him. And I thank you so much. And yeah, I'm definitely going to implement these. Wow. You know, great. So I'm supposed to meet him again on Thursday. Thursday afternoon comes no show. So I text him. He's like, I can't. I'm in the middle of this meeting, but you know, we'll do it sometime next week. I said, okay. So again, I have her the following Tuesday. So she's like, oh, my marriage couldn't be better. I don't even know what I'm doing here with you. She's like, everything's perfect. Da, 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 da. I don't know what you're telling him for years. I've been trying to get him to change and you're a magic man. <laughs> wow. So, and she still doesn't know. No, he's she not... doesn't know because I okay. went to one of the rules. You're not supposed yep. to talk about, you know, yep. that's part of my thing. He's like, we don't, you know, we know we, we stop talking about the relationship. You're not supposed to discuss all this stuff. Because I find that oftentimes couples will get into fights if they, yeah. you know, oh, he told you to do this and you're not doing that. I don't like any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, <laughs> at this point I had to tell her, I mean, I just... You know, she's like, and she's like, well, what did he say about me? Da, 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 da. So she started asking me questions. She's like, is he also seeing changes that I'm doing? Da, 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 da. So I'm like silent over the phone. You know, she's like, wait a second. <laughs> Have <laughs> you met? <laughs> Fascinating. The power of the power of the positivity, you know, the power of the, the change that occurs to somebody when they express appreciation, when they focus on the positive, when they are enthusiastic about their marriage is yeah. enormous. And, and I know this about everybody I meet, you know, and it, it's like my job just to somehow get them across that threshold because I know when I meet these couples that there's, that's why I call my program recreating intimacy. I tell them right from the beginning, I'm not doing anything here. I'm just helping you to bring out the love that you two already have for each other. Yeah. There's they just needed a reminder. <laughs> they need they need a reminder and they need the methods, right? Cause it, it's yeah. the devil's in the details, right? If you're, that's why these five foundations, if you're appreciative of your wife and if you're kind to her and if you show her affection, that's the first one. If you learn how to listen so that you're not defensive and you're better at communicating your needs, so you don't blame her. 
if you know how to set boundaries such that without pushing her away and that re are respectful of your relationship for the sake of protecting your relationship and you're having great sex, what do you think is going to happen to your relationship? Yeah. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you already love each other. That part you already have. You, you don't, know, what's <laughs> really interesting too is that I think this just kind of demonstrates this idea that when you change yourself, you can change your relationship and you can change others. And it was just her being more appreciative. And, you know, we're mimetic creatures. We're going to imitate each other. And so if you're producing this energy, you've just invited me into that energy. And now I want to engage that energy. But then I am also in the back of my head and I'm like, was this a little tricky device? Like, I'm not the one that needs the work. She does. Look, I wasn't, no, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, but it's, I, I've noticed that with my own husband, right? Like I've gone through courses and I've done these, you know, clinical lectures and workshops and I go and I'm like, here, learn it all. Just like I did. And he's like, why don't you just practice it, baby? You know, and I practice it. And then I'm like, Hey, you're, he's like, yes, yes. Because you invite them into that energy and yeah. they want to match you. That's the thing that I recognize deeply is we can either be reflections of our egos to one another, or we can be reflections of our highest self to one another. And, oh, you know, we're, we're, if we're in the same environment, we're eventually going to match each other's energy. So it's like, you have to decide what you're grounding your energy in for that day and just keep inviting your partner in to match it with you. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and and oftentimes like I talk about something called the positivity quotient in your in your relationship. Mm. Most couples that come to me on a scale of one to ten are somewhere about a three or a four. Mm. You know, a, a one or a two are people who are having affairs or and or they're checked out. You know, they yeah. just they're just that they already have a foot and a half out the door, you know, or there's like serious abuse going on. It doesn't not necessarily domestic violence, but emotional abuse or Maybe there's addictions like gambling or pornography that's out of control or, you know, something like that. Most of the clients that I see come to me somewhere around a three or four, right? And and my job is to raise the positivity of the relationship up to a seven or an eight. And when that happens, what's really incredible is that when a dip comes, which it always does, right? They're, they automatically know how to bring it back up. Mm. Right, because they're they have what to lose. I don't know if you've ever met couples like this where they're always bickering. So what's the big deal? You sling a little bit more mud, right? She called me a name yesterday, so I'm just going to use a swear word today, right? That's well, that's what happens when you're all the way sitting down on a three or a four. You just can't you can't get out of this cycle of. And you talked about um, you know violence. They call it in domestic violence training, the cycle of violence, right? So mm -hmm. so it, it, it could be emotional abuse where you're just emotionally abusing each other because you just can't seem to get out. But once we raise the positivity quotient of your relationship, you don't want to ruin that. Mm -mm. You don't want to say something stupid. And if you do, you want to correct it immediately because you don't want to go back down to a, a three. You're not interested in that. You've already, you've already made it, yeah. right? So people start being again on their best behavior and it's like this energy that you just want to keep up yeah you know it's really amazing how like how this works a little bit of change can really restore and 
bring positive. That's why I tell clients that things are going to shift right away. If the first three or four sessions, you're not going to recognize your marriage. Yeah. Especially if you're really open to it, right. And you really believe in your own capacity to put that into action and to actually see change. Um, but there's so many naysayers out there, right? Just spitting all over the concept of marriage and long-term relationship. And even to the degree of this assumption now that people can't change, you hear once a cheater, always a cheater, or if if they use porn, they're always going to use porn. But then I think what happened to our ability to recognize love transforms people. And when we're doing love right, people just naturally realize I'm doing something here that's screwing with everything. Let's fix it. You know, oh, yeah. because that's, that's what love does. It's you're like, yeah, I, I, I got to change for this. I have to get on board with this. What do you do when people come to you and they are struggling with porn and porn is the interruption in their relationship? Yeah. So yeah, th- there's a lot of different uh, things that people come to me with, whether it's pornography, which is definitely something, or whether, you know, one of the spouses is attracted to somebody else mm-hmm. or, Uh, There are other vices, also alcoholism and gambling that people have, you know, what I like to do um, when I, when I run into these things now, now there are, there are, there, there are like addiction counselors, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not really in it, although I was trained in addictions, because that's part of my license. I don't look at myself as an addiction counselor, but what I like to do when I work with, with couples regarding these types of things, you know, let's just say, let's just focus in on porn since you asked is I try to increase the, like I said before, I try to increase the positivity of the relationship and the, the, the beauty that they're experiencing in their current dynamic, such that they don't feel the need to go outside the marriage to feel fulfilled. Yeah. You know, so I don't necessarily address the porn in particular, because I don't want to bring, let's just say shame or like another type of work to the work that we're doing. But what I want to do is I want to get that person fully engaged on being a super husband or being a super wife or, or helping them, you know, be the best version as we like they say in the manosphere, being the best version of themselves, whether it's going to the gym, making sure that he's, you know, a family man, hanging out with his kids, you know, you know, taking care of his financial obligations and, having his wife fall in love with him. And then he gets the feedback, the positive feedback from that. And I found that in you know many circumstances that the, the need or desire for any of these external, let's just call them destructive habits, wanes significantly. You know, I, again, I don't call myself an addiction counselor, so I, I don't like focus in on that in particular. Yeah. But like I said, I, I find that once we bring purpose, meaning, pleasure, joy, ecstasy through the family and, and marriage that oftentimes, well, there's even video games. Be, I've, I work with people that you can't believe, you mm. know, they come home from work and they're addicted to video games for hours. Right. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you address that? You know, and yeah. my methodology, like I said, is to get them super hyped about their marriage and their relationship. And that usually has a really beneficial effect. So you redirect the focus on what is working in your marriage? What do you like about your marriage? What do you like about your partner? And not so much focus on this one flaw that's taking up your time, but then more, can we redirect your time and attention towards what is working 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And, what, yeah, and what's like going to give them meaning. Right. Yeah. And they agree with it. They don't, yeah. I don't get arguments. Yeah. Right. If you were, if you ask a gamer, you know, what would they rather have a great relationship with their children, with their wives, maybe some, a new, you know, working on their career, going to the gym. They agree with that. Yeah. They're not arguing with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually, they just didn't think about it. They didn't think about it or they failed in the past. Yeah. Right. They've made an effort and it hasn't worked out or they tried with their wife and they got rejected or yeah. they're just not good at interpersonal communications and they don't know what to do. You know, it, it, it's, it, people oftentimes, you know, one of the first questions I ask when, when somebody says, well, she's not showing up for me in this way, or she's, I'm, you know, I'm upset at my, my husband because of X, Y, and Z. One of the first things I say to myself is, okay, well, how many times did your husband actually try to show up for you that way and felt rejected from you? Yeah. I don't say that out loud yet. Yeah. <laughs> I will once I get him on the phone and find out the story behind the story. But at that point, you know, because there's a dynamic between us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Emotional safety. I've seen that this is something that you've discussed on your Twitter. A lot of people don't understand what emotional safety even means. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, in, in my experience, I've had clients go, well, I have provided her with emotional safety, but it's not working. So if you had to just define it and what it looks like in, in action, what mm -hmm. would that look like for you? Yeah, emotional safety is a big one because that is highly contradictory to the general manosphere idea that in order to get the most out of your wife, you have to keep her on her relationship toes. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right? uh, uh, I've heard Andrew Tate directly speak on this, this idea that she needs to know she is so replaceable. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and old school would call it spinning plates. And yeah. the idea behind spinning plates is that you've, you're threatening that you have multiple girls or multiple opportunities. Right. And, um, and that works. The truth is, is that, that is, is that that works, mm -hmm. right? It works for all of us. It, it works. If I go into an office and I work in an office and I know that my boss can pick up the phone and get somebody to replace me, I'm going to show up yeah. more, you know, more attentive to my job, right? So I don't even deny that it works. However, what I do say is that it is not conducive to a loving, intimate, authentic relationship. And that in the end, it'll just, it'll just cause the destruction of your relationship. And I think that's true because even most of the people that espouse these theories, I don't know if they've been married for 30 years. Most of them haven't, right? They've been through a couple of divorces, or they just have a bunch of girlfriends or, they're just talking, you know, from wishful thinking <laughs> in yeah. a lot of the cases. Uh, why is that? Because th the number one way to a woman's heart for her to open up her heart is for her to feel that she is valued and important and vital to your life, right? That's how she feels. That's how, that's the way to get her not to get her, that's the way to invite her, like you used the word invite before, invite her to be vulnerable with you and open with you and to want to show up fully for you. Yeah. Right? There's no showing up. A woman's not going to open herself up and show up the way she really is if she feels that if you see something you don't like, you're going to escort her out the door. Yeah. 
right? And without her showing up the way she authentically is, you're not getting the real her. She's just putting on a show. And so that's not the foundation of building a marriage. That may work for a girlfriend that if you're trying to get something out of her, but that's not this, that's not what I deal in. I, I deal in having a great marriage. And many men don't understand this they, because men don't have this need anywhere near where a woman needs it. Yeah. So we don't get it. You know, we, we may like, you know, we may click on the Instagram models. We may click the like button on Instagram models that we see. We may engage in pornography. We may flirt with other girls. We may not think it's a big deal, X, Y, and Z. We may, heaven forbid, you know, talking already, if you're in a marriage situation, heaven forbid, we could bring up the topic of divorce if we get into an argument. Mm. Some people walk out the door, threaten to leave, right? These things, men don't, many men don't realize the extent of damage you cause in your relationship by keeping her at arm's length with always the threat that you're not going to stick it out. Yeah. And um, when that happens, she she turns cold. There's a piece of her that dies. There's a piece of that trust that she has for you and in your relationship that dies. And eventually she turns cold and then she eventually checks out. Can relate, can relate. My husband, and this is something he doesn't do anymore, but when we would get into arguments, when there'd be a big conflict, he needed to remove himself physically from my proximity, which I understood, right? I always understood he had to go cool off or walk away because sometimes I speak in paragraphs and yell in novels. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and he would get into this habit of driving away. And I'd be like, whoa, 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 you, you can't do this. My dad did this. This left an imprint for me. You can't do this to me. Right. And so eventually he stopped because I, you know, after many years, I finally was like, my dad did this to me. This freaked me the hell out. I would hide under my covers when you do this to me. And even bringing up the divorce thing, right? He'd be like, well, you just want, do you just want to get divorced? And I'd be like, no, I want to no. work this out, you know? And I'm not saying I haven't said the D word either, but just saying that even if you forgive each other, and even if you realize you said it in the moment, unconsciously, it can, it can stay with you. Consciously, not unconsciously. Consciously. Yeah, consciously too. And that that comes around and it just weighs on you. And so the next time there's a potential activation, you're like, are you going to leave again? Are you going to threaten to oh. leave again? And then it's like, how long does it take me to get back into a place of that's not going to happen? You know? Right. And I agree. I think a lot of men don't think about that. And well, that's not well, what, just... is, what happens to you. You know, I want to ask you if you don't mind, yeah, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you because this is so. This is so raw right now. What happens to you when you feel that? When you feel that my husband could leave? Like, talk to me a little, if you feel comfortable, talk to me a little bit about what how, what changes occur in you and your, and your ability to be in relationship when that's put out there as a possibility. Um, I instantly get angry. I mean, I get very angry. Um, and then I get really sad and I just get scared. And then... It's like I I second guess everything, you know, that that just took place. And then it makes me second guess a whole lot after that. And just should I even address this? Should I even 
address conflict. You know, we've gone through phases like that where we've we've been honest with each other where I don't want to bring something up because then this happens. And so then I can't feel vulnerable with you to express myself and what does scare me because, you know, you worry that they're going to hold it against you next time too, mm -hmm. which does happen in a lot of relationships. And it's happened, you know, within mine, my husband and I have done that. We've had that emotional warfare with each other where we dangle vulnerable stuff back at each other. And it's, right. you know, it's cruel. It's a cruel thing to do, mm -hmm. but yeah, it puts you in this, this state of panic and uncertainty and, you know, a damn sure doesn't make me want to go take them upstairs to the bedroom after that. Right. You know, it makes me want to go. I want to emotionally punish you somehow because you made me feel so abandoned and distant that, mm -hmm. well, I know what you'll be after and I'm going to make, you know, I want to make you feel the same, which is, you know, Just not anything I'm endorsing <laughs> or encouraging that whole, I'm going to do to you what you did to me. But that's what happens when we break down sure. into ego, I think for sure. And um, yeah, overall in general, and I think women can relate to this and and men can too, especially when they get vulnerable and it happens to them. It makes you not want to speak to each other and tell each other what's bothering you and tell each other what's wrong because oh. there's a threat that this, this is going to be the one thing I tell you that ends us, you know? Right. And so my husband and I came to an agreement and I, we've been really good at following through with it too, is do, do not say that word unless you mean it. And it doesn't matter what we're going through. This is not the thing that's going to break us. We've been through infidelity. We've been through, you know, so much. And so if that didn't break us, I we just want to affirm for each other, like, this isn't going to break us when there's an argument or a conflict. It doesn't mean it's over. It just means this thing has to be over, not the whole relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. No, that that's, I'm glad that you guys kind of work through that and realize you know um that just because you're having a just because your relationship is going through bad times doesn't mean you have a bad relationship right it just means you're going through bad times yeah you know and and one thing that I like to remind my the couples that I work with is that going through difficulties in a relationship doesn't mean that this was the wrong relationship mm -hmm. it just means that you're in relationship that's yeah. all it means that's all it means because that's what you know if you think about it from a more spiritual you said you're a christian woman well one thing i like one one kind of metaphor that i like to use is you know we're we're two halves a, a husband and wife are two halves of the same soul and the trick is that we're supposed to unite this these two halves are supposed to come back together so one's in your body and one's in your half of it's in your body and half of it's in your husband's body, right? Mm. But how is that going to happen? Right? You're a woman, he's a man. You grew up in this environment, he grew up in that environment. Sometimes people speak different languages and are different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Very common, you know, that people get married from it. We are so, we are, he's introverted, you're extroverted. And the differences between you and your husband are infinite. Yeah. And yet the purpose of marriage is to bring you to oneness. So expect some bumps along the way yeah <laughs> it's not going to be like a putting you know two puzzle pieces that just fit directly it, yeah. it's more like trying to shove a, a square peg through a round hole yeah and everybody comes out okay at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly 
And, you know, it's easier to accept that too, I think, if you don't expect your relationship to be your problem solver or your fix-all or your completion or your savior. I see a lot of people out there endorsing these ideas that your relationship should make your life better or your partner should make your life easier or your partner needs to bring you peace. Oh, and yeah, I'm I was like, say that one, that it's just so hysterical. Oh, and I'm like... Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. Here's the deal. Life sucks. There's suffering and satisfaction. And it's nice to have someone to go through the shit with you. You know, like they're not saving you. They're not shielding you. They're 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 just coming along. Necessarily just coming along for the ride. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so you don't have an empty seat in the roller coaster. (laughs) Oh, that is just a great, great way of explaining it. I, I also, you. you know, your wife should bring you peace. I'm thinking to myself, hey, I've got six kids and, and you know, she, I come She multiplies horrible. noise, not peace. No. <laughs> I know, I have five. We have five. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what are you talking about? Your wife, you know, that's not really the way this works. She doesn't, she's not like an adjunct to, you know, my, my, my life. As a man, I look at it quite the opposite, that it's my job to bring stability and emotional kind of. Um, solidity to the relationship. I expect my wife to be completely frazzled when I get home from work. I expect her to be very emotional about, you know, whatever's going on in her life and for her to need enormous amounts of emotional support. Um, Mm -hmm. Not the other way, you know, as a man, I don't look at it the other way around. Not saying that there haven't been plenty of times when I've leaned on her, of course, but part of my role as a man is to provide emotional shelter for her. And to hear other men talk about that their wives are supposed to, you know, then they call me beta, right? And then they're they're like the alpha and that their wife is supposed to give them peace. Yeah. Like, really? That's what an alpha male is supposed to be? Like, have a wife that gives him peace? I don't see it that way. No, It seems like such a weak position to take, you yeah. know, you're supposed to be the rock. You're supposed to be the source of of support. You're supposed to be the one that's immobile in terms of your emotional strength. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the one, you're the son giving out warmth to your wife and children, not the other way around. Yeah. And it's like, and isn't that something you would stand proud in and want to affirm for yourself and confidence and boldness? Because for me, that's just an optimal role to step into, right? You you house your woman's emotions and you help house her and, and shelter her. But a woman also provides a, a complimentary role to her husband as well. And it's there's not a need for us to break with those roles or norms, I wouldn't say. I think it's just more about acceptance of who we are individually and in our feminine or masculine essence and recognizing that we were created in these opposing, not even opposing ways, just different ways so that we would provide a proper balance for one another and our life. You know, it's, and to stand firm in that, like, I I too see th- these ideals that if I'm too feminine or if I do too much for my husband, I'm a simp, right? Or I've been brainwashed by feminists or by um, the patriarchy. And I'm like, no, this is just what I want to do for my husband um, I've been brainwashed by anything. I just, it just feels natural to me to be this way and to be yeah. in my energy and to just accept it 
and not be ashamed by it and not think I have to change it for society. Totally. It's yeah. a beautiful perspective. And, and this comes up, you know, again, in the marriage program a lot, you know, people talk to me about my philosophy on marriage in general. And one thing that I explained right from the get-go, I say marriage itself is a traditional construct. Mm-hmm. It, it is by itself a traditional construct. If you want the outcomes of a good marriage, you have to play by its rules. Mm-hmm. You can't change up the rules, quote unquote, open marriage or, you know, polygamy, you know, and they don't even talk about real polygamy, but, you know, polyamory. Yeah, it's different. Polyamory yeah. or. Um, or even having relationships outside of marriage or mm-hmm. or even within a even within a monogamous marriage, you know, you know, the 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 role of the masculine and the feminine, if you want the outcomes of of a good marriage, you have to play by its rules. Mm-hmm. And it's a traditional construct. You can do something else, you don't have to call it marriage, you can just call it something else. But you can't come to me because I'm a very traditional person, which is something I explain to my clients right away. And there's a lot of reasons why they like to come to me. I'm a traditional person, so I'm going to approach your marriage in a traditional way because I want the best outcomes for this traditional thing called marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're on board, you'll have a lot of success. If you try to fight these roles, then you probably aren't going to get what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And that's just being objectively honest about what it is rather than letting it emotionally affect you because this construct has existed longer really than your feelings. So (laughs) totally, you know? Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate you taking time to come on and, you know, help talk about these social conversations. Hopefully they'll bring a little bit of a wider considerate perspective to the listeners and, I'll be sure to make sure that everybody knows how to connect with you um, in the show notes on the podcast. But if you wouldn't mind, if you would just tell the audience where they can find you on Twitter. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So first of all, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Danielle. It's just been really, really nice. Thank you. Um, It's kindred spirits here. It looks like, you know, we share Twitter together and we have very similar uh, philosophies, which is nice. Yeah, it is nice. nice. Because I spend a lot of my time, you know, arguing online. So every once in a while, it's nice to speak to somebody. It's nice to just commiserate and agree (laughs) and resonate. You don't need to debate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the, you know, the most, the funnest place to find me is on Twitter, of course, you know, at my first name, last name, at David, D-O-V-I-D, Feldman, F-E-L-D-M-A-N. Uh, not many people spell their name that way. So the good news is, is that I actually have the same website, www.davidfeldman.com. My Instagram is at David Feldman and my YouTube is at David Feldman. So, so it should be easy, easy to find you. <laughs> And I'll make sure I just attach all those links in the podcast notes, make it easier for anyone. As soon as they're done listening, they can just go click on you. All right. Well, thank you so much again. And I look forward to more interactions with you. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much.